Hello, First Methodist Online Campus. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here with you. My name is Charlie and I am our Amarillo Campus Pastor, but I'm glad to be here with you continuing our series on pressure. Today, our, our main text is coming from Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. I encourage you to always have your Bible with you when we're gathering together. We're gonna always have a main text. We're gonna read that together. That's gonna give you the opportunity to highlight and underline anything that might stand out to you. And then if you discover something that speaks to you that maybe we don't bring up in the sermon, add that in the comments. We wanna hear from you. We wanna engage with you. We don't want this to be a one-way conversation. But today, again, like I said, we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and this is what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, like I said, we're still in our series on pressure. So I want to say welcome to week three of our sermon series. Over the past two weeks, we've been talking about pressure and we've, we've shared that, how, that pressure is a gift. It's a gift that God gives to us. But in order to receive that gift, we said in week one, you have to feel it to reveal it. You have to be willing to feel that pressure in order to receive that gift that God might have for you. And then last week, we, we were really blessed. Last week, we got to watch Jesus navigate a season of pressure. And we witnessed how Jesus approached pressure with patience. He didn't try to rush it. And we, we learned how to avoid what I call pressure-induced tunnel vision. And we, we can avoid that by asking three simple questions. Am I resting? Are you resting? Are you taking time to, to sleep well, to relax, to eat good food? Are you breathing? Are you taking those panic, deep, shallow breaths, those quick shallow breaths? Or are you taking deep, intentional breaths? They're gonna help your fight or flight response calm down so that you can see things clearly. And then the last one, am I seeing the whole picture? Have you given into that tunnel vision? Do you, have you lost your peripheral? Have you forgotten that God is with you, that, that God is a God of miracles, that he's willing to lead and guide and direct you? Or are you seeing all that? Are you, are you taking God's authority into consideration with whatever you're facing? Well, today I've titled our sermon, The Pressure of Perfection. And I wanna ask you, have you ever felt that kind of pressure, that pressure to be perfect? In my mind, in, in today's world, one of the primary sources of perfection pressure comes from social media, which is interesting given that you and I are engaging through social media. But we, we get that pressure, we begin to feel that, that expectation to, to live up to some standard, to, to have a life that looks like others. I, I feel that really often, maybe you're better than me, but for me, I, I do feel that when I get on social media at times. And I really feel it when I, when, I, when I encounter that family. You know the family I'm talking about? That family that has the, the perfect marriage, the perfect job, the perfect kids. And then they, they take these perfect pictures and they put them on social media so everyone else can see and know how perfect they are. That really creates a lot of pressure. And honestly, it, it creates a lot of pressure for 
for our teens and our kids. This, this interaction with social media can really stir up this sense of not being enough or not measuring up or, or not being worth attention or uh, having attention put on you. So this, this pressure of perfection can really be somewhat dangerous. When we encounter that pressure, a lot of times we respond in, in one of two ways. Option one or option A is that we give in. We give in to that, that pressure to be perfect and, and to keep up with the Joneses. And so we start spending more money than we should to impress those around us. We begin to, to, ex, to ignore our flaws and we find ourselves more often than not wearing a fake smile and not being true to ourselves or being honest about how we feel. That's option A. But then there's also option B. Option B, uh, we begin to say to ourselves, you know what? Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, and I don't care what anybody else thinks, so I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live my life. Now, this response really has two, two roots, two causes. One is this, this kind of false humility that I'm better than those who think they're perfect. Or the other root is that you're, it's a self, self-defense self mechanism. You're trying to protect yourself because you're, you're fearful that you really don't measure up and you don't want anybody to know. So you put this, this facade up that you don't care and, and you're not going to care what anyone else thinks either. Now, inherently, we know that both responses are wrong. We know option A is wrong, that we, we shouldn't get in that rat race of keeping up with the Joneses. But we also know option B is wrong, this idea of I don't care and I'm just going to avoid the world and I'm going to close off my emotions. We know that's wrong as well. But we still can't give up on perfection. Perfection is something that Scripture is really clear that God expects of us. He expects us to pursue perfection. Uh, That's really clearly made in in one particular place in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are called by God to strive after perfection. And we really should care what God thinks about our lives and our decisions and what we say and what we spend money on. So what I'm really trying to say is that perfection isn't the problem. It's deciding which perfection you're going to pursue. Are you going to pursue the the perfection, the idea of perfection that the world has? Or are you going to pursue the idea of perfection that God's word has? lifts up for us. Because worldly perfection is going to require you to conform. It's going to require you to fit into a mold. It's going to require you to look, act, speak, and spend like all those around you. Now, biblical perfection is going to expect something as well. Biblical perfection is going to require you to transform. It's going to, if you, if you submit to this biblical idea of of perfection, this pressure of perfection, you will be changed. You'll be changed. You'll be transformed into something completely new. So the reality is we cannot avoid the pressure of perfection, but we must decide. The trick is deciding and knowing which, per, which perfection we're, we're chasing after. Are we chasing after the perfection that's going to conform us into what the world expects? Are we going to pursue the perfection that transforms us into who God believes we can be and who God has called us to be?
Well, thankfully, our, our scripture for today offers us some guidance to answer that question. I want to read again for us Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you catch the two pivotal words to understand and apply this text? They're the words, so that. See, Paul was writing to the Romans and he was urging them, don't be conformed. Don't give in to the lie that you have to look like and act like and live like all those around you. Don't give in to the pressure to, to appear perfect on the outside. Instead, allow God to transform you from the inside out. Now, that Greek word that, that we get that we translate to transform is actually metamorpho. And that's where we get the word metamorphosis or that process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form. So Paul is urging the Romans. He's urging you and me not to be conformed like everyone else, but to be transformed by allowing God to develop us, to mature us, into the image that he has for us. So why? Why should we give ourselves over to be transformed, to, to have our, our thinking transformed? Well, again, so that. Going back to our, our verse, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and what? Perfect. Discern what is perfect. One of the fun things about, about researching and writing sermons is there's these rare occasions where you come across something in nature or science that reinforces a biblical truth. And I'm so thankful that as I was researching this sermon, that happened. A common illustration used to describe the type of transformation that, that Paul is talking about in Romans 12 is the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. Now, what I found so fascinating was that in that process, at the very end, when the caterpillar's chrysalis breaks open and, and a butterfly, a new creation crawls out, do you know what the scientific name for that new butterfly is? The imago, which is Latin for the image. So the new butterfly, the new creation that has been transformed from a caterpillar to a butterfly it's called the Imago. So I want you now, with that in mind, to go to Genesis 1.27 and read with me what it says about you and about me. Genesis 1.27 says this, God created humankind in, the, in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were created in the Imago day, in the image of God. God wants to transform us. According to Romans 12, 1 and 2, God wants to transform us into a reflection of his perfection, a reflection of his love. He wants to transform us so that we pursue the type of perfection that he desires for us. Well, the question remains, how is God going to transform us 
so that we can think about perfection correctly and we can know what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. Well, again, thankfully, the answer is found in our, in our main text for today, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. Our thoughts influence our actions. Therefore, if we want to live different, we must think different. If we want to live different, we have to think different. Now, what I was surprised by, we, we all, I, I hope we all know this quote, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. So you might know that quote, but what shocked me was that it was Theodore Roosevelt who is given credit for that quote. Comparison is the thief of joy. And Theodore Roosevelt is correct. We, we must stop thinking of perfection in that term, in, in, that, in, in, in the terms of comparison. Uh, we have to stop asking ourselves questions like, am I better off than my coworker? Am I, am I far enough along? Have I achieved more than my neighbor? If we want to be transformed by the pressure of perfection, we must start thinking of perfection differently. Perfection isn't about, do I measure up next to my neighbor? Am I higher up the scale or have I climbed higher on the ladder of achievement than, than those around me? That is not what perfection is about. This is really something that John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he actually struggled with this much of his life, this, this idea of, of perfection and holiness and how to go about achieving it. And, and Wesley really discovered later in his life that his mind, that his thinking on perfection really needed to be renewed in the way that Romans 12, 1 and 2 describes it. During the early years in, in Wesley's life, even though he was an Anglican priest who was raised by an Anglican priest, even though he was a missionary to the Native Americans in, in, in the United States, in the early years of the United States, even then, his idea of perfection was wrong. See, Wesley thought about perfection in this way, that he had to achieve holiness in order to receive grace. He had to be perfect in his actions if he wanted to receive God's grace. So what did that, what did that do? It created an environment where Wesley was constantly under pressure. He was under the pressure to achieve. He was also under the pressure of, of just not measuring up, being afraid that you're not, you're not meeting the expectations of God. And so he was constantly haunted by questions like, have I been faithful enough to deserve God's favor? Have I read the Bible enough to gain God's grace? Have I avoided enough sin to be welcomed into God's presence? See, trying to achieve perfection in your own strength and according to your own merit, will leave you constantly under pressure. It'll leave you consistently discouraged and always exhausted. We don't pursue perfection first. We can't achieve perfection in our own strength. If we could, that would quickly, very quickly lead to, to pride and this idea that we don't even need God. If we want to live differently, we must think differently. We must stop pursuing holiness or perfection in order to gain God's grace or to gain God's favor and start 
trusting God to make us perfect because of grace. I want to say that again. This is really important. We have to stop pursuing perfection so that we can get God's grace. We have to do away with this idea that no, the, the more perfect I am in my actions, the, the, the better my church attendance is, the more grace I get from God. That's not how grace works. Grace is unmerited, unearned favor. What we need to start doing is saying, I can be made perfect because of God's grace. And Wesley realized this. There's a significant moment in his life where this, this truth came alive inside him. It, it, he talks about it uh, in the life-changing experience he had on Aldersgate Street. I want to share with you just a short entry from his journal. This is how Wesley described his experience. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, or a society would be a Bible study, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Listen to this part. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. See, that's the kind of thinking that leads to perfection. This idea that I have been saved because of God's grace. God can work in me. God can work through me. God can transform me. That is thinking that leads to perfection. See, Wesley realized that his pursuit of perfection begins with confidence that he can't achieve it on his own. Our first step in pursuing perfection should begin with, I need God's grace. I can't achieve this without his strength, without his guidance, without his forgiveness. We are in desperate need of God's grace. But we don't just stop with that acknowledgement. We don't just stop with saying, I need God's grace. I'm thankful for God's grace. It is because of God's grace that we can pursue, we can legitimately pursue godly perfection. Perfection that is rooted on the inside, rooted in our thinking, not based on our outside actions. I want to remind you that Jesus commanded us to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect in Matthew 5, 48. So I think a fair question in reading that text, if we're going to take it seriously, is what did Jesus mean by be perfect? What was he calling us to? What, how did Jesus define perfection? Well, the Greek word that Jesus chose to use in Matthew 5, 48 that we translate as perfect is the word Telios. And the literal definition of teleos is this brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness, consummate human integrity and virtue, full grown, adult, of full age, mature. Now I know this is you know this idea of perfection, we got a lot of old thinking that perfection means you know not doing anything wrong, and perfection means flawless and, and you know, without fault. Well, I want to challenge that idea and I want, to, I want to make the case that the kind of perfection that God is calling us to has more to do with our maturity. It has more to do with our development 
living fully into who God has called us to be and to think and, and love the way that he loves and receive the love that he has for us. It has more to do with all that than just simply flawlessness. And this, this receiving this begins with realizing that the kind of perfection God is calling us to is different. It's not about outward actions. It's not about just you know being, being perfect in, in, in our outward appearance. The perfection that God's calling us to is more to do with maturity, becoming all that God has called us to be. It's more like transforming from a caterpillar to a butterfly. The caterpillar is born and it lives on this earth, but its ultimate destiny, the, the complete fulfillment of who it is, is to be a butterfly. The same is true for us. God has called us to, to live into this idea of receiving his love, of knowing his love, and then being a reflection of that perfect love into this world that, that we exist in. See, when we, because when we focus we focus on being transformed, when we embrace this idea of being a, a perfect reflection of, of God's perfect love, when we, when we realize that we are called to be the Imago Dei, the image of God, we stop competing. We stop comparing. We stop wondering how we measure up to other people. We stop worrying that how, whether we measure up at all. And we find rest. We find rest as we trust the grace of God to transform us in who we've always been called to be. And then as that transformation happens, what, what happens is our, is our thinking about perfection gets corrected. Our, our living changes as well. You can't think wrongly and live rightly. We have to think rightly in order to live rightly. So as we think about God and we think about perfection in the correct terms, our lives, how we live, are going to change. And that's that's revealed to us right here in our text. Our, our main text, the whole sermon was built on Romans 12, 1 and 2. Well, allow me to read for you what Paul said in Romans 12, 3 through 13. After describing this, this transformation of renewing our minds and being a living sacrifice and, and knowing what perfection is, knowing what is acceptable and good and perfect, this is what Paul says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher and teaching, the exhorter and exhortation, the giver and generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate and cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, and contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to the strangers. What I just read to you is a description of what a community would be like if each person in that community was pursuing godly perfection. 
if each person was trusting God to transform them into the imago Dei, the image of God. Because you notice in that text, there were people with different gifts of prophecy and leadership and generosity. They weren't competing against each other. They weren't comparing how they measured with one another. Because their pursuit was in godly perfection, they could come together in unity and love one another, support one another, and celebrate each other's different giftings. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of community that I want to be a part of. I want to, I want to live into my calling as the Imago Dei to, to be a reflection of God's perfection, to reflect His love in how I look at myself, how I treat myself, how I, I look at and I treat those around me. So I invite you this week to pray about that, to ask God. I know this is a challenging concept, this idea of perfection and that we should pursue perfection. I know that's challenging, but ask God to help you understand. Reread Romans 12, 1 through 13. Ask God to help you understand it at a deeper level. I'd also invite you, if you have questions or if you have disagreements, Please put those in the comments. Like I said, we don't want this to be a one-way interaction. We want to have a, a two-way conversation. So post your questions, uh, post your, your disagreements or your, your thoughts, and we'd love to engage with you as we, we continue moving through this series on pressure. I do so much appreciate you being here today. It's an honor to, to be a part of this conversation with you. And if you don't mind, I'd like to take just a moment to, to pray for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for all those who are part of our online campus. I pray that you would bless them, that you would encourage them that they can be perfect as their heavenly Father is perfect. They can be the image of God. The image of God for themselves. They can, they can begin to see you reflected in themselves and they can be a reflection of your love and your compassion in their families and in the communities and in their workplaces. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would help them to understand this idea of biblical perfection. And I pray that you'd bless them this week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you again for being a part of our online campus, and I hope you have a great week.